Welcome to the Meeple Syrup After Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're on episode 98, Cut All the Throats, or I like to think of throat punching. And we are on with uh, Dylan and Sen and myself as we chat about a great episode we just had with Kurt and Jonathan Lavallee, uh, Kurt Covert from Smirk and Dagger, and Jonathan Lavallee, a wonderful designer and writer who just recently at Gen Con came out with Jacuse, one of the great games from Smirk and Dagger. And we talked about Take That, some backstabbery, some uh, ways to add some evil fun. So uh, what, do, what do you guys think? I'm, they could, I could have listened to them all evening. It's, it was really fun to hear. I mean, especially when we're talking about channeling different player types into different experiences with one another. I mean, that's, that's really what the game is about. Yeah, I, I really like the comments about funneling into a social contract, mm-hmm. um, which is basically you accept the terms of engagement. If you don't like them, it's not the game for you. And uh, there was some comment on a random board um, a while ago that says, you know, if you design a game and the review says that it's not for all players, uh, then it's not a good game. And I believe that's a lie. I believe that's a bit really of a, lie. a bit of a lie. That, yeah. uh, we all have preferences and we all have things we like and don't like so saying that you're curating an experience for a certain type of psychographic I think is exactly what you need to do Mm -hmm. Um, the answer uh, to the question of can I make a game great for all people is yeah you can but that game's gonna suck (laughs) right yeah I was just just gonna say if you make a game for all people you're kind of using the lowest common denominator anytime you do something really strange (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if you do something really well, something really well, uh, and you really focus on that, you're going to have a specific audience. You're going yeah. to engage and have some people that love it and some people that will hate it. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a good parable in the Book of Tea about that. Lee Q stating that he would you like to tell us the parable? <laughs> I don't know if I can remember it from 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 memory, but of course, one who appeals to the common taste is not a great tea master, but one who appeals only to his own highest taste is a great tea master. It was yeah, a, I mean, Lee Q, yeah, there's a little bit of a a balancing point there, of course, where you say, you know, how fine a point do we put on it when only you know professional charlatans will want to play this game? versus everybody who likes this style will want to play this game. You know, I heard it on a, a great podcast. I listen to a lot of RPG podcasts in terms of design, uh, just because it crosses over, and it actually meets a lot of the social aspects of gaming better than the board game design podcasts. Board game design podcasts tend to be mathematical in nature more so, or and then the RPG uh, tends to be about social interaction, of course, right? Um, <clears throat> And so one of the things they were saying is you can <clears throat> make a game for, you know, 10 people and those 10 people will be your evangelists who will love that game. And hopefully 10 of their friends will buy that game and like it because they were evangelized too. And maybe 10 of those people's friends is about what you're going to get if, if you make such a focused game. If you want to make a game that is going to sort of have a longer lifespan and, and infect a, a bigger audience, you need to kind of aim for, a, you know, have a solid path. Like Kurt was saying, they he said, this is what I want my company to do. From this broad spectrum of games, I'm going to take this semi-narrow way to do it 
and I'm gonna do that really well. And so that's branding, right? I mean, he branded Smirk and Dagger to be games that are, by nature, contentious, which is, if you know that, if you know the brand, you've bought into the social contract, you've drunk the Kool-Aid, you signed on the dotted line, and you're okay with most of the stuff that's in, like kingmaking or backstabbing or player elimination. You know that somewhere in those games, there's going to be those things. And so if you're one of those evangelists and spread those words out, then you're going to collect enough of the market to, to get it. But if you go too fine and you appeal to just one person, then you're going to have a very small market, right? So there's that fine balancing point. I, I also really appreciated the the discussion and debate about kingmaking. I, I, I like that we kind of had a little bit of a diversity of opinion while we talked about that. And I was curious, what wh where do we stand on oh, Dylan, go the ahead, idea man. of kingmaking? Well, dude, the, the thing is, anything can happen. The more off the table the game is, the more different... Like, kingmaking is, is something that can happen in any game with any meta element. I mean, like, playing sure. in diplomacy, you'll have, you'll have king... Playing almost any game, you can have king... How, how did I know that diplomacy would get mentioned? Well, it's the perfect example. It is. But the, the, the fact being that you know, like, just I what I what I was interested in was more just the fact that these and what you were saying sent the RPGs, all of the the games that we're talking about right now are games where we're not on the table as much as we are like out here in the minds of the players. A pure euro that's all math down here on the table. Okay, sure, there can be king making in the numbers down here. When we're talking about backstabbing, this is this is connivance. This is this is a completely different kind of experience. It's all king making, but it's a different kind of experience entirely. That's a really good point. Like so, the the when you said off the table, it's like yes, that's exactly when king making makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, when you can't mathematically and deterministically figure that out, exactly, it becomes a game. When it's not when you can mathematically figure it out it's no longer a game it's an equation and that's no fun i don't it's like doing that. Choice, yeah, yeah that's, it is the best choice because of math whereas mm -hmm. if you can switch that into the social realm or at least push it that way a little more maybe obfuscate some of the points etc cetera, etc cetera, or have reasons like in your hand this is why i want to kill you specifically mm -hmm. then we've got some i think that more game that headspace game where that's where it gets interesting and that's you know, I think Kurt's point about building a story <clears throat> is really good. And I've had this argument with Daryl a lot. Uh, I would say that uh, there are games that I don't like playing, but I have great memories of. I don't like mechanically, but I have great memories of because of the psychological impact that it had, the loss that I felt or whatever, the highs and the lows of that <clears throat> game. Uh, whereas most Euro games... I don't remember individual games as much as individual games of things like, you know, very, very social games. Mm -hmm. And Daryl would argue that, you know, he said, oh, no, I've had very memorable games of Strasbourg or something. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, I have. But the point, my point yeah, is. I, I can think of tournaments that I've been in. And I mean, to say a math game, for instance, I mean, poker to me is completely a math game with meta. So. Uh, you could play it just for the math, or you could play it with a story. So, I mean, right, for me, you see, in in your in both your stories, though, there was skin in the game. Hmm. You're in a tournament, or it's for money, you know, bluff, uh, or cetera, for bragging rights, or for. Uh, I mean, at at the end of the day, even just a good story to be able to say you kicked your friend's butt. But uh, yeah, I just find it less in a euro, more in other games, but. 
if if I I remember a long time ago playing Starfleet battles and being in you know random dudes that basement, would be a long time ago <laughs> playing playing for the very first time, and I was playing Federation. The guy across the table from me looked at me, and said, "Kirk." And that was it for me because I was absolutely toast, and it just so happens that my last name is Kirk. So it that like that was the meta game, and I'll never forget that game because he took two Klingon D seven battle cruisers and completely annihilated me as quick as quickly as he possibly could. But like the Starfleet battles is a little calculating game where like if you've lost, you've lost. There's just it's it's almost as as seriously mathematical as a Euro like. You're on the table. Oh, yeah, it's actually, you, I think it's even more so in a lot exactly. of ways. Exactly. You're sitting there. The, the only thing is calculation. And they're like, you know you're dead. But it was that experience that, that made it. And all that experience was off the table. He killed me. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would argue that, that it's always off the table and that you can always create that. You can always create an off-the-table meta to have a good yeah. time. It's just a matter yeah, of... I, I think, of uh, there's some players that are really good at it. Like you, Daryl, uh, and Jay are really good at doing that meta where you're like hey don't do that to me why why would you do that to me i just gave you this thing why would you and mathematically you didn't do anything spectacular but you can socially manipulate the situation where you can get people to do things right whereas right I know- and that's what i say yeah. naturally games are social because you are doing them in person with each other except that i think some games who- aren't no, no yeah, and there are exactly. players who will play only you know the most optimal move, and they will be get frustrated if you don't make the most optimal move, and that you don't take temporary alliances of convenience out of because they're optimal at the time. Like these, there are different types of players playing games, and you know I yeah. I can I can name them, but but yeah, there are some people who simply will play the math, and and that's what they like. That's not what I like, but it's what they like. Mm-hmm. But you're never going to play that social game with them anyways. So saying, play, like, no matter what, you're just never really playing with them for that experience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, and again, that's, that's a social contract thing, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, if, <clears throat> So if you are, especially if you're, if you're friends with people, uh, and Daryl knows Jeff, so, <clears throat> so Jeff Temple, Daryl. So if you're playing yep. with Jeff and you know him, it's very fine to do all the you know, social stuff, and he'll get right in there and dig at you and whatnot. <clears throat> but if yeah. he's playing a game with, like, random people, it's yeah. he's very much, I just want to play this, my game, yeah. and I want to do the best at building this thing, and I don't want it to be knocked down. <laughs> and that's yeah. kind of the way I, I, I see many Euro players in that vein, that it's yeah, only sure. when they're in the right group that they kind of open themselves up. Whereas you're kind of the guy who would just kind of do that anytime, right? So... Don't touch my player board. It's my player board. I think I, exactly. I think I think there's something that there's a different experience going on, right? Like because right. they really want to compare what they build at the end. Like their interaction that they're really looking for is just at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Andy on the feed is saying, you know, I think it depends on the spirit of the game and the spirit in which it's done. Uh, in that, the people surrounding the game at the table dictate whether he personally likes take that cutthroat or not. And I agree totally. It, it is a social yeah. thing. This is, this I is mean, it's slightly... even the same. Oh, sorry. Sorry, no, I, I'm just going to kind of bring in a slightly different example. Sure. When playing Super Motherload, for example, mm-hmm. uh, 
when you're saying about making that building that you're going to compare at the end and you don't necessarily care whether you're win or lose, the, the great experiences in Super Motherload come out of chains and building those chains. So, like, of course, if you can give a play, like varying different types of players and a, a positive experience, that's awesome, wonderful. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there, there are all sorts of different types of experience. Creating a curated psychological experience off the board is so much more nuanced than creating a, a mathematical interaction on the board, like being able to build this cute little tower or whatever that you can No, exactly. I mean, and that's why I think all of us at this panel, like this table right now, are, you know, even though we're separated by thousands of kilometers, <laughs> will agree that none of us think a game is done when the math is done. We think it's a mm -hmm. the game is done when we can read the player's experience and it exactly. fits with what we right. kind of predicted it would be, right? Yeah. What are you looking at down there, Daryl? You keep looking to your to your left. Oh, I'm just writing some notes of what oh, you guys cool. are saying. Oh, no, cool. I just wondered if you like. I just wondered if you had something down there that from Nuremberg that we couldn't see. All the secrets. Nope, I just I always I always I always write while I while I'm listening. Cool. So, yeah. What uh, what did you see any any games at Nuremberg that would lend themselves to more of the meta, more of the take that, or that were purposefully elimination games? That you can remember? Hmm. Uh, to be honest, it was actually kind of funny. I got labeled a bit of an American-style designer while I was in Nuremberg, which I thought was hilarious because I think of myself as more like a hybrid Euro fan. But um, when pitching, um, a lot of publishers would say, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how other European publishers will react because we're more and more looking for this interaction while still... You know, we like our our points and our and our little you know things that we build. So I I would like to think that I'm a hybrid designer, but in the Nuremberg world, I was very much the American style. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I I think most Canadians, by kind of just our nature of being in, you know caught between the two monoliths of America and Europe, we tend to sort of go in the middle anyways. And I think most American designers are trending towards uh, European stylistics as well in some way. But Yeah, well, yeah, and I know. think a lot of European designers are partnering up with American designers and yeah, seeing exactly. what kind of cooks up out of those kind of relationships. I mean, we've seen a bunch of examples, for instance, with Eric Lang uh, partnering with a few different uh, designers and seeing kind of what cooks up between them where Eric's kind of scratching more of his Euro itch and they're kind of scratching more of their mid knees or, or cool extreme powers or things like that. Definitely. You, we have to be able to find, I mean, speaking, especially from a guy who's very interested in war games, we have to be able to find that focus that you find in Euros where, where exactly the game is, where exactly the experience is and being able to pull from both those worlds is absolutely superb. But yeah, yeah. like I'm not a huge fan of pure Euros. So it's, there has to be that off the table aspect. Mm -hmm. And there's. Oh, I think, I, I, oh, it was interesting to see a lot, sorry, a lot of trends of like um, people making uh, um, games. There's a lot of smaller games again, which I think is people craving, you know, different stories and different experiences at the table and instead of these long That is a trend as well. What game would you put on the table if you wanted to ruin friendships? No, I mean, uh, have, a, have, a, have a night where it was, you know, very much 
in that social contract that we are going to be mean to each other tonight and then be friends after it. What'd you put on the table? Dylan, I know you put diplomacy, but what else? Of course I put diplomacy. No, I, I mean, there's actually, to be honest, I, Victory 2's uh, diplomacy mechanic is simply metagame. And when it's got three players, it can be bloody cutthroat, especially between a bunch of people who have played it before. It's basically a complicated type of risk. It's a very good complicated type of risk. But it's one of those games where the metagame was not provided for. It simply exists because of the board. And the players who are around the table are going to make that metagame. So it's an emergent... Meta. It's an emergent meta, exactly. I mean, it's hmm. with three players automatically. It's just going to be how do I convince that guy to attack him and not me? That's right. it. And and that's the that's the neat thing about. I mean, that is specifically cutthroat. Like when we yeah. get a three-player scenario, we are in cutthroat mode. Exactly. And yeah. most of, actually, it's funny because most of my absolute favorite games are three-player games, mm. and I don't know why. I actually really like cutthroat games. Um, not necessarily king making, not necessarily player elimination, but where you can play another person off of another person and you're in the middle, I find that fascinating. So even a game like, and my, one of my favorite games of all time, like Basari, that you can really only play as a three-player game, that to me is a brilliant game in terms of mathematical balance but also, and the use of roll and move in an interesting way. But also because you can, you can totally manipulate people to do different behaviors I based, raise, on, based on math facts. Mm-hmm. Based on math facts. But yeah, I want to raise one other thing. Is that I I played a game of just what's called, I think it's called minority. Like all it is is a bunch of numbered cards. Everyone gets a numbered card, and that's the number of votes that you have in a government. And one person makes a proposal basically to cut a deal. Okay, you guys all vote for me, then we have a majority, but a bing. You present that to people, and they'll they'll all be like, okay, well, where's the game? This This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. On the second round, they are screaming at each other because, no, no, you're not going to be part of my majority because you didn't vote for me last turn. You're an asshole, blah, 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 just piss off. Just a few cards with numbers on them can turn really, really meta really, really fast. So like, it's nice to kind of go down to those brass tacks and build a meta game just from those very simple mechanics. Absolutely. I was just going to say that to me, there's two extremes. There's either the real cooked down, very interactive. I especially personally, I actually like when it's like about six players because you can almost have two of these three player loops where that's happening all the time. But those mixes, the, 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 the triangles keep changing who's involved, but you can either have these quick games and, uh, or there's some really longer games. I was thinking when you were talking, I was even thinking of Dime Masher and just like how the law changing and things like that becomes so significant because you're invested in these different alliances for changing laws and such like that. Lancaster is an example that does that in a really, in a quicker version of that. Um, the, the game that I was going to point out that I really love when it comes to cutthroat is mall of horror. And one of the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One that of is one my of your favorite, favorite reasons <laughs> it is. And one of my favorite aspects to that game, um, is this constant level of survival. And it's like lifeboats as well of this. You're mm-hmm. constantly push, you know, group group deciding to push, you know, someone out, but you, your, your alliances keep changing because ultimately you're just trying to survive. 
and uh, and the the mechanic of knowing where the zombies are going with the with the surveillance cameras and then being able to bluff or or not bluff all that kind of stuff is really I think really fun and I take that bluffing would take that are great I, I've done that with evil like just with the uh, what is it the ability to see what the next season is mm-hmm. just being able to totally bid people like fake off people with bids to to go to the wrong direction for I mean yeah well, you can you can metagame anything so like Maybe it's just the type of player. Yeah. Who knows? It kind of is. I, it was definitely a player that brings that experience to the table that you know if you're getting in a game with that person, prepare to be metagamed, and that's okay. Uh, Nate's calling you out a little bit here. He says, poker cannot be played for bra- bragging rights. Money or nothing, says <laughs> Nate Murray. Well, and I would agree way, for do, a, a real yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Do not play poker with Nate. He'll, he'll take no. all your money. He'll take all your money. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff I think in this, and it's amazing how much I learned just from talking to people and listening to them about what their their concepts of these things are. Because we get in such a closed mindset, I think, in game design when we want to be successful. When we like, I gotta get a game out. I need to be published, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you listen to all these rules of thumb that say, hey. Um, don't have player elimination and don't have king making and don't do this and don't do that. And in essence, they're kind of right. But in the big scheme of things, I think everything can be included if you can, you know, fit it in. And definitely mathematically, they're they're more right than the metagame part comes in as well, right? Dylan? They worked historically doesn't necessarily mean they're going to continue to hold. Right, exactly. Like, I mean, the, the baggage of yeah. you know, yesterday's designers is just their baggage. We can, mm-hmm. we can change some of that. Exactly. Yeah. Daryl, do sure. you have... Uh, oh, there you are. Uh, Daryl, where are you next? Are, are you going to Toy Fair? Uh, yeah, I'll be at the New York Toy Fair. I'm just there for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Okay. Uh, so that should be a lot of Friday, fun. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. <laughs> that's like four days of toy well, it, that's, that's it, a big time. It goes it goes longer. It starts yeah, yeah, earlier yeah. and it goes longer. Mm-hmm. So. Um so oh, this is what Nate says. And this is this is actually true. Uh if someone only plays the math in a game mm-hmm. with interaction, they become exploitable as yes. their moves are predictable. Absolutely true. Right. And and that's it. Yeah. That and it's funny because I mean this is kind of the way it is in, in most things in life. Uh, so just speaking from martial arts, if you go up against uh, a newbie, like a total new guy, they do weird things because they don't know how to move their body. Yeah. But those weird things will often catch you off guard. Where you're going, oh my god, what the heck were they doing? And you know, I mean, you eventually yeah. you'll you'll get over it because skill will beat that. But for the instant that they throw this weird punch or this weird move on you, it's like, what are you? doing and how do we get out of this and so that yep. it's true the if you play only the by poker. engagement you're bound to get red in a long game right actually that that really made me think because like you you look at a lot of euros and basically the okay here's my mathematical engine all right this works fine and it's completely deterministic how do i throw in a curveball to make this deterministic generally working engine interesting to people either i have this amount of information or i do this or whatever when you're when you're curating an interpersonal experience when you're curating metagame that's where the uncertainty is and that's where nate's really really got it nailed on the head is 
that, like that creates the interest in the game. That creates the the tension. That creates everything that a cute little mathematical trick might do in a lot of euros. Right. Yep. And we we yeah, all no, have think, that. I think it's important. Oh. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, even like a euro, like for my for myself, like when I was designing the Walled City, the question that I constantly said to myself was, just because it's you know there's a mathematical element, the chaos factor needs to be the players. You need to mm -hmm. you need to not be able to predict things because the interaction is is not fully prescribed. That you need you need other players so that you actually have to sit down and play the game. And yes. until you play the game, you don't know what exactly is going to happen. You might have feelings or inclinations. There might be instincts involved. But at the end of the day, if you can make your game dependent on the players making the choices, then you're going to have a different experience every time. And that's actually what really does make the game, right, is the players at the table. Uh, like Andy was saying, we've, we've often... I remember way back when, when Belfort was first coming out, somebody had got a, a hold of the pre-release of the rules and had just made all these like offhanded comments about, oh, this doesn't sound like it's for me and blah, 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 blah. And the part, the, the thing they're missing is the interaction that you're thinking from a very closed mindset, egocentric viewpoint where it's like, yeah, yeah. I can see how it's going to work because this is what I do. And the problem is when you, when you think of, well, game theory, when you're thinking of perfectly rationally acting agents, yeah, you're right. You can predict every single move. The problem is that people are not perfectly rationally acting agents. Otherwise, Dylan would not be have a job, right? <laughs> and as I've always brought up is the iterated prisoner scenario, you can affect people's decision in the iterated prisoner scenario simply how you present the rules of the game just by the terms you use to couch the game. Like, yeah, for sure, for sure. And like I said, the table shapes, the environment, everything, which is why like in a, in a diplomacy game when you can get everyone to dress up in suits and have champagne, that's the way to play the game. Well, I mean, the champagne it. adds that extra. It does. But dressing up, I mean, so dressing up, mm -hmm. um, Jesse and I talk about dressing up in the classroom a lot because of the power dichotomy between student and teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and the same thing there, though. If you can get in a mode of thinking because you dress up, then your game experience is going to be quite different than if you you don't think of yourself as being that role of a cutthroat negotiator who is mm -hmm. looking out for the best interests of a whole country, right? That's different. You got that feels going, and you'll you'll almost role play. And I think this is where Jonathan's. Uh, real strength lies in terms of bringing in that role playing into the tabletop area that makes it interesting and fun. And, you know, some people might find it loud and obnoxious and not want to play Talisman near him. But <laughs> in the long run, I think it makes for a really neat experience that isn't false and isn't faked and isn't put on. It's really, you know, this is enjoyable to that type of person, right? And that, that, that group of players is get buying into this suspension of disbelief in order to have a better game experience where socially we contracted that we can, you know, be mean to each other. And that's cool. Absolutely. Um, I also want to just give a shout out uh, for anyone who didn't see while I was in Nuremberg, I saw a couple game artisan games, uh, had a mouse oh, hold yeah, yeah, yeah. with uh, from Adam Weiss. It looks Awesome. And then also one that I managed to get home. Oh, Josh is going to be super jealous. 
Coco Nana. Coco Nana, which is not a real so, word. It's just a word. It's just a made-up word. Yeah, so that so, used to be River I, Runners uh, that Josh made at the gathering <laughs> like two years ago. He literally he was like, I'm just going to make yeah, this he, game. He made it. Pretty fun. Yep. And so that's out from <laughs> and Friends. And uh, Head of the Mousehold is through uh, Fox Mind. Fox Mind. Yeah, so some really great new yeah. games from Artisans coming out. And we'll have more on the way, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Good stuff. Uh, any last words before we sign off the feed? We're at 440, so we went a little over, but whatever. We got Dylan back and Daryl's back. Good, here, so. Oh, speaking of which, I have uh, teaching circles next week, so I won't be here at all. Um, can you guys do that? How do you even teach circles? Well, yeah. we'll just keep going around. There that's are a lot true. of points. There are a lot of points to teach those circles. That's that's true. There Very Euclidean me. of you. Yes, better than non-Euclidean, because <laughs> then we'd be being eaten by like you know squid, squid monsters so. or hounds of Tindalos or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's make sure to have some Terrible. pie. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. That's absolutely. Pie. Pie is always good. Uh, so next irrational. week, there will not be three of us. There will be maybe one or two of us. Um, and that's okay. So, uh, do you guys have any last words, any last thoughts on this topic? Daryl, you're all I mean, topiced out. I regret nothing. You regret nothing? I, I, I have lots of swords in my back. That's all. Nice, that's nice, all. nice. Well, that doesn't surprise me because Daryl is a player. If you ever get mm. to play Daryl in a game live, don't be surprised if at the end of it you hate him and love him all at the same time. That's what because I go he'll for. Make, He'll he'll make your game experience better, but he might have done something By that you didn't you like. Feel terrible. Exactly right. But your game will be better for it. Your it's game a, will be better for it. It's a rite of passage. It really is. Same thing with Jonathan or Jay or any of the guys who really get into the meta and the mind yeah. mind aspects of the game. <laughs> cool. So we're gonna sign off now, Daryl. Give us a give us a sign off. Yeah, well, just again, thank you everyone for tuning in with us. You can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Twitter, you can find even our own website where uh, it's the meeplesurpshow.com. Uh, feel free also to interact with us. Uh,